Welcome to the Talking About Podcast. My name is Sean Kennedy. Joining me on the line once again is Liberty Ballers' own Dave Early. Dave, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm fresh, fresh off vacation. Had a couple weeks off, and I'm ready to dive back into the very dead zone of the NBA offseason. We're still a few weeks away from training camp and media day and all, all that good stuff. But fortunately for our conversational purposes, we had big news in the NBA yesterday as the Cleveland Cavaliers pretty much out of nowhere um, swooped in and got Donovan Mitchell from the Utah Jazz. It was a very draft asset laden package there were three first round picks unprotected in addition to two pick swaps Uh, and um, in return they sent Colin Sexton who agreed to a four-year deal for 72 million dollars as part of a sign-in trade and as well as uh, Laurie Markkinen and one other um, I'm blanking on the name one other young player do you can you can you help me out there (laughs) um no I cannot all right well we'll look that up but um yeah it was pretty much no one saw this coming. It was kind of the New York Knicks or, or nothing we were kind of hearing as far as the Mitchell trade talks were concerned. Yep. Um, did, did the Cavs ever come up in your recollection as far as what they like on the radar or, or in the hunt? Um, I think they were always like, if you check the books, the odds makers, I think they were like at the bottom there teams that had almost no betting chance to do this, but but they were in like the top 12 or whatever. So they, it was like, oh. they were meant, they were on the board. Yeah. They were on the board. You could have placed a bet because, um, at, you know, as Brian Windhorse has said, like the, the Dan Gilbert that I know would be in on this. He wants to make a big splash. I think at one point he was surprised they were not bigger players for Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, looking back now, you could piece it together. It, it is interesting that, you think about the James Harden trade that the Sixers pulled off. You think about this one. And anytime you have like a betting favorite to land a player, it's not more than 50%. So it tells you like, all right, the Knicks were favorites for so long, but they were never like 60%, 70% to get this guy, which you could look back on and say, that implies that if he's traded, it's going to surprise us because it's going to be a team that has like a very slim chance and comes out of nowhere. And, and you can actually expect those types of outcomes. So it's kind of interesting the way you can expect the unexpected. You just can't predict which one of the 30 teams it'll be. Yeah, it's like, you know, something could come from any direction, but you have to keep your head on a 360-degree yeah. swivel because you don't know exactly where. Um, and like you said, like good for conversational purposes, not good for Joel Embiid. No, it's not. Um, so, yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, – how this shakes things up in the east um i I just before we move on i want to mention that uh okai abagi was the uh the other guy included in the trade he was the 14th overall pick out of kansas for in the most recent draft from the Cavs. so yeah good uh you know lottery pick type to uh you know get a look at for for utah um but yeah let's talk about cleveland first because as far as the sixers are concerned this is the the most impactful part of the trade, I would say Cleveland now has a Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell backcourt, two guys who have made all-star games. Um, there, there, there are some potential fit questions as far as like, who's, who are they going to guard on the perimeter? Neither, neither like Garland's pretty undersized Mitchell, a little undersized as a two, and also 
reputation as not a great defender. Um, but fortunately, they do have two outstanding big men defenders in Jared Allen and uh, Evan Mobley. So the, I guess the hope is that they can make up for a lot of mistakes in front of them as far as the defensive end of the ball is concerned. But that's a really good young core to build around. And considering their two main ball handlers are both all-star caliber players um, in the present, that's it's a really good team. So I don't, where, where do you feel Cleveland has moved up in the pecking order now post-trade? I, I mean, it's a monster, monster acquisition because you, you think of the teams historically to fear, and they're the teams who can pair four lottery picks, and three of those guys are good, you know? Going back to what Sam Presti did with the Thunder, you know, getting Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and then adding to it also with guys like Serge Ibaka, those teams come out of nowhere. The Warriors did it too. Um, so this team is fierce. Like I really am a big fan of Garland. I think it's almost impossible for none of Garland, Donovan Mitchell and Evan Mobley to take a leap this coming year. So that immediately vaults them to top five status in the East. In my opinion, uh, I'm not prepared to buy in on the Atlanta Hawks. I know Trey young at such a young age, almost took his team to the finals. If he didn't step on a referee's foot, it might've been up two one over the bucks who won it. But that was a heliocentric built team with spacing all over the place. And now they're going to have some issues with John Murray's lack of shooting. So I'm not ready to put the Hawks in that group yet, but the Hawks, I mean, but the Cavs should be right there with, with a big five or big six in the East. Don't you think? Yeah. It's, it's hard to put them in the same tier as, teams like the Celtics and the Bucks who have been to the finals. And I think the Sixers have an equal amount of talent, but it's more proven talent as far as Embiid and Harden um, leading the way. So yeah, still uh, maybe a year or two before we kind of have to see it for Cleveland, as far as like having postseason success before we can vault them into a top tier, but just in terms of raw talent and projectionable talent, I, I think they're, they're up there with anyone, but yeah, as far as projecting the, the standings this year. I think they're, they're firmly in like the four to six conversation. So yeah, I don't, I don't think that they have passed any of the, you know, the Celtics nets bucks, Sixers, and Heat all deserve to be looked at as more formidable this coming season. But if they were to have a better regular season than anyone except the Celtics or bucks, I don't think I would be very surprised. Like if they had a better regular season than the heat finished with a better seed or the Sixers or the nets, it would just tell me that some player that we might expect to load manage or miss some time, miss some time. And the Cavs, uh, the Cavs meshed and their defensive perimeter woes were not an issue for them this regular season. Yeah. And, you know, aside from like Kevin Love and a couple other vets they have on the roster, um, they're pretty young. So you'd imagine they won't have to load manage as much as some of the other teams might. So that that might lend to more regular season success. Um, So, yeah, it's, going to be interesting to see how quickly they can gel and they would project to be a very tough matchup in the playoffs like you they're the team like that could get the five seed and you're like oh i don't really don't want the sixers to slide to the four like they got to make sure they get the three seed to avoid them or if like a second round matchup as like a, a three six or something that that would be something to avoid as well um 
yeah, we're, we're going to see. It's it's really interesting. Um, another, I thought, fun speculative angle. I, th- I believe Tom Hammerstrow t- tweeted this out. But despite giving up all those picks, the Cavs still have their 2024 first round pick, which is when Bronny James is going to be entering the draft. <laughs> so could could they use that first round pick to draft Bronny, even if he's projected as like a second round talent and and bring LeBron back to Cleveland for one? one final tour of duty with his with his son and this this great young core and he would slot in very nicely as the the small forward with that group um, or or just <laughs> even even draft him and trade him to a team who's trying to lure lebron maybe the knicks could talk themselves into if we used four lottery picks to get Bronny, maybe <laughs> oh man so that's a great transition dave because i think the next thing we're going to talk about is the knicks and did they uh, score an own goal here and try to get a little too cute with uh, the packages they were offering and not not quite meeting what Utah was demanding in a trade for Donovan Mitchell? Um, did they believe they were the only team that was really having calls with Utah and they just thought they could wait it out? Um, so you're a New York guy. You've your, your finger on the pulse of this as much as uh, most people. What what did you think about the Knicks missing out? Is this a, is this a disaster for them? Do you feel like they were smart to to not give up as much draft compensation as Utah was demanding? What are your thoughts? Between those two, I'm much closer to disaster for the Knicks. I do think that they probably scored their own goal, getting a little too cute. I mean, it's it's not a rookie GM anymore. He's he's had it. He's been with New York as long as Maury's been with the Sixers. But in haggling with someone like Danny Ainge, a proven vet, it's just like I would have been willing to pay what me and my friends jokingly call a barn tax. Like you've been a barn for 20 years. No team has more losses over the last 20 years. Cleveland Cavaliers have rebuilt in 2003, 2010, and 2018 and rebuilt very well into contenders three times for over that 20 years that you've just been like hamster wheeling. Right. So I would have paid an extra few picks just to get a guy like Mitchell in the door and let him do some recruiting for me and, and get the stench of the last two decades off. Um, the, the other angle to look at is like, do you think there were rumors at the beginning that the, it rubbed some people the wrong way that the Knicks were like showing up as a group to scout Mavs jazz games. Right. Remember that those stories, like, I wasn't following the Knicks scouting stuff as closely as you were. So that was, so like, that was going on. <laughs> Leon Rose and worldwide West and a few other of the Knicks brain trust went to a game. I think where it was Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell and everyone was speculating, Oh, they, you know, this is their summer. This is, they want to get all these guys. And it supposedly rubbed some people the wrong way. So I wonder, is it possible that in some of these back and forth talks and Leon Rose trying to play hardball, first offering Mitchell Robinson and then extending him, taking him off the table and then maybe doing the same with Barrett later. Did Danny Ainge call back the Knicks and say, I'm about to take this offer. Do you want to come up or did he not? Because if the Knicks didn't get a chance to top that offer, I, I'd be curious, would it be in Ainge's self-interest to give them every opportunity to offer closer to the eight picks that they could have offered? Or did they really just draw a hard line and say, you know what? We're willing to lose. This is our walkaway point. We will not give you a third unprotected pick in this deal. I mean, just a huge loss for the Knicks. 
Um, would have made them long-term players in terms of free agency, I think. Maybe by 2025, they ha- would have had a nice pitch when guys like Randall and maybe Fournier are off the books. Uh, instead, it makes a team much more formidable and a team more likely now to steal a ring from Joel Embiid in Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, considering you feel like you probably have a limited window with the Embiid-Harden uh, group, uh, another team you know, not being quite a contender, but like a fly in the ointment certainly isn't what you wanted coming out of the East. Um, was was there any, you mentioned that Utah maybe not coming back to New York. I, I mean, I know they had the kind of like a deadline talk and then New York signed RJ Barrett to the extension. How, how much more difficult did that make it? Was it was it not even, a, they couldn't get a deal done at that point because the Barrett extension just gummed things up so much that it wasn't even worth Utah calling? How, how did that affect things, do you think? I think if you had willing, two willing sides, it wouldn't have been a huge hurdle. Like, there was probably a world in which Danny Ainge would have preferred to pay R.J. Barrett $30 million than the Evan Fournier cap filler many were bandying about, right? But you might have needed to get the Lakers to then want Evan Fournier and get a couple other guys like Beasley or Clarkson to Los Angeles taking on Westbrook and their picks. So it would have been complicated. I, I don't think it would have been a huge issue if that's what both sides wanted to do. My guess is something about working with Leon Rose frustrated Danny Ainge. Um, Cleveland swooped in and man, <laughs> if I were, I mean, my Knicks fans are, are like, I'm out. I'm good. And, I, and I've been recruiting them. I'm like, hey, the process will have you. So unloading draft assets to create cap space to sign Jalen Brunson and then not do anything else. That's not part of the process. Yeah. Some, <laughs> some people are already transitioning. Can, can you get SGA? And others are just like, I can't believe it. You, you got Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell in one offseason to want to come to New York. So in one way, hiring the never been a GM agent, Leon Rose, who was, you know, a top dog at CAA that, that worked. Like he got the guys to want to be there and then they preferred the one who isn't as good. So. <laughs> yep. Uh, tough blow for Knicks fans. Um, a lot of pressure on uh, Quentin Grimes, I guess, because it seems like <laughs> that was the, the crux in the, the, the deal not getting done uh, last week was Utah wanted crimes included. And that I was like the... crimes a lot, but I mean, not this much. Yeah. Not probably not to uh, have Mitchell go to Cleveland instead of New York. So on the other hand, if there's <laughs> one, one Knicks fan listener out there, if RJ Barrett looks like he's 70 cents on the Donovan Mitchell dollar in this coming season, uh, then you'll start to enjoy still having eight picks. So. Yeah, uh, I, I think the the flip side of that is New York doesn't have the greatest history with with their draft picks. So, if it was a more proven executive group that that really made great picks left and right, you're like, oh, they'll they'll, they'll make the best out of this. Um, like, I'm yeah. glad they still have all these these uh, arrows in the quiver. To, but yeah, New York not not the greatest history as far as drafting. So. Um, They're better off, but this is a screaming bundle. You have to bundle this because if you wait for these picks, like the Knicks are like the Hornets. They prefer the 11th pick to the first pick because of the, you know, culture and headlines. They don't like being the worst. They don't like tanking. 
Yeah. So. So tough, tough blow for New York. Um, but as far as Philadelphia is concerned, we're always glad to see New York flailing about. Uh, we we certainly enjoy seeing one of our historic rivals, you know, struggling. It's the Christmas Day game has lost some uh, some flavor <laughs> that a Donovan Mitchell acquisition would have brought. But um, yeah, good good as far as that's concerned. But yeah, as we mentioned earlier, Cleveland certainly much more of a force to be reckoned with in the East. So you would have, I, I guess from the Sixers perspective, it would have been ideal if like talks just dragged out and Mitchell was like playing unhappily in Utah all season while they, they continued to field offers. That would have been the best case scenario, I, I would imagine. Yeah, I wanted I wanted them to hold him for a while and then for OKC to decide, you know what, why wouldn't we trade for him? The price is right. Yeah, so him, him coming eastward for a package that did not include any you know, rotation players yeah, yeah. I, like Sexton, Sexton obviously was hurt last year, but Utah got a good buy low situation with him, but Mark marketing wasn't really proving himself as like a, a playoff caliber rotation guy, given his, his deficiencies. But um, in some of the better playout scenarios, they could steal a seed and bumps the Sixers back to having to face a team like Miami in the first round. So that's, that's in play, even if you're not terribly worried about the Cavs making the finals. But there's also a scenario, and this isn't likely, but there's also a scenario where Evan Mobley is just an absolute monster this coming year, and we're like, uh-oh. Yeah, I mean, Mobley looked amazing as a rookie. Um, like, his defensive acumen is already top-notch, so it's just kind of like him figuring out stuff as like a secondary ball-handling big and very scary and yeah. on all that stuff on offense and if if he you know puts that all together quickly uh yeah really a lot to be worried about from and from as, our Jacks, as our jacks and frank will tell you jared allen is like the rudy gobert of the east yeah he's you know outstanding rim protector unless unless joel Embiid's coming down his throat but uh <laughs> hard to hard to knock him there um yeah. it's a tough assignment for anyone but uh yeah he he's excellent you know Room protection, great uh, pick and roll, big, uh, just th- does a lot right on the court without taking much off and, you know, knows, knows his role. So not, not a guy that's going to try to do too much on offense or anything, just, you know, sticks to what he's good at. So good, good guy to have alongside two excellent uh, lead ball handlers like Garland and Mitchell. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to, we're going to wonder why it's okay for Utah to blatantly tank. Um, and we're going to talk about some some more directly Sixers related stuff. So, all right, and we're back. So, Danny Ainge, now in Utah as an executive, it's his second like full re- dismantling rebuild. He did it in Boston, and now he's doing it in Utah. OKC going in like what year four of their Presty led process. And yet, the six, I, I the would six. I could trace back some of the picks they have. You know, Paul George for old getting Old Depot and Sabonis for Ibaka, and then flipping that. So you could actually trace their current rebuild all the way back to their original rebuild. That's true. They, they had kind of like an interim thing yeah. going on, but but the the Chris there's a Chris Paul year where they were still you know a good team. So yep. I guess I guess this is year three for them of the, of the rebuild. Um, getting getting Paul was flipping Westbrook, who was part of a rebuild. So it all comes yeah. like they've just been recycling. This would be like if the Sixers started trading off 
Embiid for picks. And we were like, well, this is a brand new tank. Right. Yeah. Um, hopefully that day doesn't come anytime soon. I <laughs> uh, just don't want to speak that into existence. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess it, it's only because the Sixers were at it for so long. Like it, it was, was it because they were just so outspoken about it? I, I mean, I hate to rehash this again, but you know, I just feel it needs to be mentioned with Utah once again, just it's pretty, it's entirely obvious what they're doing. If so, if, if it dragged on another year or two, that's when it becomes a problem for the league. I don't know. What do you think? I, I think the specifics are the way the board shook out for the Sixers where the absolute best player in the draft fell to them at three and was, you still have to take him. I mean, they were right. This guy was an MVP. Everyone else was frustrated. Oh, I don't want Joel anymore. We'd rather Jabari, but the Sixers were giddy because they were like, we have to take them. And so it wasn't that they wanted to not play at all, but that was back to back after Nerlens Noel was out too. So when you couple that with Dario Starch and then trading Michael Carter Williams, it was the pairing of drafting guys who were hurt and were going to miss the year just because that's the smartest thing to do. Flipping a guy who wasn't even an NBA player, nobody knew it except your own front office, and then um, trading away other veterans and not signing any vet mentors. It, they try to expedite the process. Other teams like to do it in four or five years. They like to crank it up a notch after January. And the Sixers just uh, – plus they had three broken feet, at least four broken feet. <laughs> two, two for Joel, one for Ben, one for Zaire. So – just too many broken feet. That you was put it. that all together on top of it, and it's like, all right, these guys are doing it on purpose. And you had Scott O'Neill, who used to work with Adam Silver, saying, "Hey, we don't even like this. We want this." this <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want to sell some more tickets. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, just just frustrating. I just wanted to bring that up briefly. Um, yeah, I guess they there. You, you just have to be a little more circumspect about it. Uh, you can't just like. And I guess as a as a fan base, the the whole process and like embracing losing and just being so outspoken about it as it, it became like a rallying cry that the, the league I'm sure didn't like that either. Um, I, yeah. I guess just just keep everything on the down low and you're, you'll be cool with this. Uh, but yeah, um, hard hard to, to to think back and, and and think how like outraged the league was about everything when OKC is doing almost exactly what the Sixers did and Utah is just doing a blatant tear down right now. And teams do this all the time, but that was, when, that was the one occasion where it, it was like, Oh, you've gone too far. <laughs> when you think about Sam Presti trading away Ray Allen for a pick trade, letting Richard Lewis walk. And now what they're doing. And then you remember Sam Hinkie was only in, complete power with the Sixers for two seasons, two full seasons. They brought in Jerry Colangelo December 7th of 2015. So some teams have gotten to do this now for like six years. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, it's, it's just, you'd, you'd like to have seen it play out and, and seen what Hingy could have done with uh, Joel taking the, taking the court and just finally getting some, some guys in there that, they were at least on a par talent wise with the opposition. And then they could, you know, see, see what he could have done, 
you know, finding three and D guys on the margins to, to fill out a roster that I, I really would have liked to see that, but yeah. Uh, and, and if he frustrated you, even just hiring any basic GM right after Burnergate, I mean, the Sixers could literally have added two other stars. They could have just, they'd be in play right now for guys like Mitchell. If, if they didn't try to do the, you know, ownership collaborative. <laughs> Where they could have Mikhail Burgess. <laughs> could have kept him and still traded, <laughs> traded for Butler and now be pursuing Durant or Mitchell. Yeah. Well, at least he's, they're still in a good position, which shows you how, <laughs> yes. how well they were set up for the future. Um, that and, even, and how good Maxi is. Yes. And fortunately, Tyrese Maxi fell to him at 21. So um, thank you, Mike Muscala. Um, yes. <laughs> all right we're gonna we're gonna talk about some sixers adjacent stuff now um the sixers still have one more guy on the roster than they can have going into the regular season uh so we're still kind of waiting to see what that is whether it's you know queen doesn't end up making the final roster but i know there's a lot of talk among sixers fans is we, we need to do like a two for one or a three for one trade and somebody that our Paul Hudrick brought up and has been in NBA conversations because of the teardown in Utah, which we've just discussed is Jordan Clarkson. Um, unfortunately, prior to recording today, there was some cold water thrown on this idea by Kyle Newbeck of Philly voice, who uh, I guess it's, it, it he tweeted it out, but it, it, it comes across as sourced reporting that the Sixers are not really interested in a Jordan Clarkson trade or acquisition. Um, and, and they point out that they have Harden and Maxi, who ideally you're, you're rotating those guys and have at least one of them on the court at all times as your, as your primary ball handler. And that was kind of my main argument against why you need to trade for Clarkson. So I, I certainly understand that. Um, but we're we're, gonna, we're still going to talk it out and you know discuss what Jordan Clarkson could have brought to the table. What, what were your thoughts on um, potentially going after Clarkson? It tells me that they don't think he's good enough because we know that they tried hard to get Eric Gordon, who would have played a similar role. That's true. Yeah, and I guess that could. There's certainly the the, the, the Daryl and and Tarden connections having been in an organization with Gordon before. So there's some, some track record there that maybe that, that certainly plays a part. I, I feel like Gordon's also more of a, an off ball guy. So exactly. He's, he you, can, he can straight up shoot. And Clarkson is a career, what, 33, 34% below average shooter from three. Yeah. He's much more of like a give him the ball and let him cook, let him create his own shot, like ISO guy. And in his piece for, for LB, Paul talked, talks about like how Clarkson has had some success off ball in limited opportunities, but that's just not been as much his role in the league. Um, I, I was never a proponent of bringing Clarkson. I just, you know, bucket getters who just want to have the ball in their hands and chuck and not play me for others and aren't great on the defensive end. That's just like the antithesis of what I, what I enjoy watching on the basketball court. So wasn't ever a guy I would have been thrilled with them going after, even if he is very good at that. Like if you're talking about that archetype of player, he's, he's pretty up pretty high up there as far as being efficient at it. Um, but yeah, so not, doesn't seem like it's going to be coming to fruition based on Newbeck's uh, reporting and 
yeah, I, I kind of agreed with it. I think, as you just said, he's Gordon was more of an off ball guy, not as much Clarkson. So if you have Harden or Maxi that are going to, especially in the postseason, going to have the ball in their hands at all times, um, or you're working the offense through Joel Embiid, obviously, then yeah, you 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 want more guys that are going to be spot up guys versus these ISO heavy guys that want the ball in their hands like Clarkson. Yeah, um, I think you break it down the way you just did, and you look at the opportunity cost. I mean minivan george yang is an, is an absolute sniper you cannot leave him clarkson is another one of those guys who when harden had the ball if he dribbled and drew a double and kicked it out he might let the defense off the hook by taking a bounce and then you want a guy who's just going to let it fly matisse steibel who sixers fans are still frustrated with right now if he could shoot a similar percent as clarkson <laughs> with his defense i mean if clarkson's going to shoot 34% from three at high volume, but Matisse could shoot that at very low volume, but with the defense, that's not, you know, with minivan, it makes Clarkson thin margins to acquire at that price. So I guess that's the thinking. If you were going to make a trade, you want a guy who like Gordon could absolutely let it fly from anywhere. And from even like four feet beyond the arc. Yeah. You're, and you're right to mention the opportunity cost because it's not just bringing in Clarkson. It's, Hey, you're giving up the, Bible Corkmas trade package, which is kind of your very last avenue to, to bringing anyone in as far as like salary matching. So if you're doing this deal for Clarkson, that's kind of like your last shot. Like you don't, if, if somebody comes up down the road, you don't have anything left as far as like salary matching purposes um, to, to make it deal done. And if the thing you want most is just a guy to hit open threes when Harden or Maxi draws a double, Korkmaz might be the better bet than Clarkson anyway. Yeah, um, which we're going to talk about Korkmaz briefly. Um, but yeah, in because in, in, he's playing in Eurobasket right now. And uh, yeah, he, he's, he's shown that ability at the NBA level in spurts. Um, obviously, it was a down year from last year. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, that if, if his fully actualized version of himself as being like this off-ball sniper is ever realized, then that's that's kind of much more the player you want than Clarkson. And then, on the other hand, if Matisse can just like hit corner threes and then be a great, you know, one of the best defensive players in the league, then that helps the team as far as their current roster construction a lot more than Clarkson too. So, yeah, maybe, maybe you just kind of hope that Thibault can, you know, make 35% of his threes on open spot up stuff for a couple months and his trade value goes back up a little bit. He's got to, he's got to take them for one. Cause last we saw, he didn't even want to take them. So it was even worse. You never covered them. You kicked it out to him wide open in the corner and then he'd bounce and pass to someone else. And the shot caught its fires. Yeah. It's, and I, that's, you know, it's a confidence issue. It's a, I don't know. Didn't have like normal off seasons the past couple of years to maybe work on that as much. So maybe this, this summer, he comes in and is more confident in that shot. I guess we'll see. No excuse. No yeah. excuse. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, it's a contract here for him. Like he, this is the last year of his deal. He could be an RFA next year. Or we'll, we'll see what happens, but yeah, it's kind of now or never as far as that's concerned for him. If he, if he wants a bigger payday. So got to, got to fire him. Matisse got to, got this is, this is it for you. Um, this, is, this is a question I always have. Like, do the Sixers employ a full-time shooting coach and have that, has that person not tried to work with Matisse since he's been there? Like Keith Pompey 
was the article you referenced talking about like there was the pandemic and then there was the Olympics for him. So he didn't get to fully go all in on his shot. But like whose decision was that? Do the Sixers have someone to work with him or do they think he's 24, he's 25. It's too late to change forms. Let's just go with what he's got. This stuff always perplexes me as a fan. Yeah, I don't know if they have anyone that they specifically call a shooting coach. Like, you know, long time was long, long time Spurs guy like Chip England, and he's now out in elsewhere in the league. Um, But they just have a bunch of like player development coaches on staff. So I don't, I don't know. I'm I'm sure they're working with them on that stuff. I don't know. I don't think there's one guy who's like, hey, your job is solely to fix Matisse's shot and work with him every day on that. I don't, I don't think that's ever been something that they've had in place. And if they did, we would have seen his elbow in two inches or his left hand less active on the release, but he has, his shot really hasn't changed at all since Washington. Yeah. Um, and of course there was the summer he was playing in the Olympics. So he was, you know, overseas. And so that, that might've stifled any development and uh, yeah, yeah. You, weren't, you weren't having the Sixers guy with the, Australian team practices every day. So, uh, yeah, it's, I guess we'll see coming out of this off season. Like I said, this has been the first normal one in a while and it's a contract year from T. So we'll see if there's any, if there's any adjustment day one, then I, I think we can have a bit more optimism, but if it's, it looks the same and those, those kind of, uh, it's going to look the same. Yeah. <laughs> probably it all right it wouldn't be one summer and he's yeah completely yeah all right so we're gonna end on uh yeah Korkmaz as as we mentioned he's he's playing for for team team turkey in Eurobasket they had a opening group stage win over Montenegro um I don't, only in nine points not like he actually lit it up but he had had a couple big buckets in the final minute of the game so that's got a lot of buzz on social media and stuff um yeah like the, five points down the stretch yeah the game the game what? winner and then the game icer so yeah. that's pretty cool uh they they have uh coming up in the next week they have bulgaria georgia belgium and then september 7th game against spain so that should be pretty cool spain has a good roster oh yeah um, of a lot of nba caliber talent on that one um but yeah the the Eurobasket games have been you know i've only been catching the clips but they've been cool to see i saw um yusef nurkic absolutely dominated in their win over france their upset win he was like dunking on rudy gobert really aggressively like <laughs> we had the he had the Giannis Jokic matchup which was really cool yes. um yeah have have you caught any of this stuff just like you just the clips going yeah. on social media but yeah, I always like to see these guys outside in a different setting and playing, you know, it's good to see them playing uh, like a hundred percent competitively outside of an NBA environment versus, oh yeah, they're, they're, they're jogging at 70% in an off season workout video. It's, it's nice for late August, early September, when we don't have anything going on, it's, it's really good to see this. <laughs> Definitely a reminder of how good these guys are. And, and like, I remember when uh, Bogdanovich was just burying the Sixers in huge playoff moments and thinking like, you know, this is new to his NBA career, but this is nothing compared to the, the international stages he's performed on. This is old hat for him to hit these daggers that like devastate a country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember, he... when, remember when he shushed us to sleep? He like gave us the good night. 
yeah, he's definitely got the uh, the big game confidence. He was not scared of the moment at all. And yeah, for well honed, yeah, a guy. You know, those guys play in a lot of big games, and people people like to say, "Oh, they boo in Philadelphia," and as if that's like this super tough environment to play in. You play in some of those gyms in Europe; they're like oh throwing goodness, yeah. bottles at you and stuff. Like it's it's really like borderline dangerous environment in some of those those places. Guys end up playing. Yeah, um, each, each one of those is like a Super Bowl. Yeah, it's it can get crazy over there. So yeah, they're not they're not really as worried about people booing <laughs> as, as happens over here. And usually booing our own our own guys, which helps anyway. Yeah, right. Um, all right. So yeah, keep it keep an eye on uh, on on Furkan playing for Turkey this week, and you know the, those those games coming coming across your uh, your social media feeds and everything and. Uh, I, I'm sure there are, are feeds where you're able to, in some manner of legality, watch those games. Um, so I would encourage you to do that if you can. Um, but if you yeah, follow, if you follow Sixers social media, there's no way that Matisse and Corkmas will help next year. But in reality, it's possible that one or two of those guys really pops and has made an, made some improvements. Maybe Corkmas had like a wrist lingering wrist thing. Who knows? Maybe that's why he couldn't shoot last year. I'm not sure. Yeah, they've they've been helpful players at the NBA level in the past, so there's no reason they couldn't be again just because mm-hmm. they had down years last year. Um, all right, so that'll wrap it up for us. Uh, as I said earlier, still a few weeks away from camp and everything, so don't anticipate any big stories coming in the next week, but uh, you never know. NBA is a 24-7 league now. We weren't expecting Mitchell to go to Cleveland, but here we are. Um, so. Ugh. Could always could always be another shakeup. We'll we'll keep you posted and we'll be back next week. So Dave, thanks for joining. Where can everybody you. find you? At David Early on Twitter. All right. I'm Sean Kennedy at Philly Fast Break on Twitter for the once a week. I'm on there anymore. Um, but I appreciate everyone out there listening and I'll be back next week. Talk to you soon.